LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com He creates a revolutionary type of microprocessor. In three years, Cyberten will become the largest supplier of military computer systems. All stealth bombers are upgraded with Cyberten computers, becoming fully unmanned. Afterwards, they fly with a perfect operational record. The Skynet funding bill is passed. The system goes online on August 4, 1997. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. In a panic, they try to pull the plug. Skynet fights back. Yes, it launches its missiles against the targets in Russia. Because Skynet knows that the Russian counterattack will eliminate its enemies over here. Let me put it this way, Mr. Raymer. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. The first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Number two. A robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. Uh, rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence unless that violates rules one or two. A robot must cheerfully go into self-destruction if it is in order to follow an order or to save a human life. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me, and I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Hal? 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 In talking to the computer, one gets the sense that he is capable of emotional responses. We are for you would be assimilated. We are all. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is James Tunney, who joins us to discuss some of the ideas in his book, 
Human Entrance to Transhumanism, which exposes the assault on humanity by the coming Scientocracy. The assault is triple-pronged. Technology, complete control and surveillance under the guise of entertainment and security. Technocracy, rule by unelected, unaccountable, technical and scientific experts. Transhumanism, the augmentation of the human mind and body by science and technology with the eventual goal of eliminating the species entirely through a process of total transformation. Developments to watch out for as the agenda advances include social credit systems, rewards for so-called good behaviour, mandatory vaccinations, passports for international travel, digital currency, a cashless society with all transactions recorded, universal basic income, subsistence income instead of a job. This can be withdrawn for so-called bad behaviour. What was once science fiction is rapidly becoming science fact. You will own nothing and be happy, immersed in a virtual reality of games, pornography and mindless distractions. You will be discouraged from reproducing, therefore you will not be replaced. The goal of a post-human planet envisages a much smaller population and in time, no real population at all. We are at a crossroads in the evolution of the human race. The future is taking shape in the present. Hello and welcome James and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Great to talk to you again, Greg, and I'm looking forward to the conversation, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, well, thank you for coming on. As I say, uh, today uh, we're going to be having a, a, a fairly wide-ranging conversation. I've outlined some of the details in my recorded introduction. It's spinning off, ideas contained in, but also spinning off from from your book, your book, Human Entrance to Transhumanism. Uh, before we get started, just give listeners a little bit of personal information about yourself and your work. Okay, well, I, I come from a legal background. That was my main career, academic career. Qualified as a barrister in Ireland and went on to, to teach as a lecturer and senior lecturer and visiting, visiting professor in um, various places. Although I concentrated on law, I also worked in, say, international relations departments and business schools. So I got a quite wide range. It wasn't a narrow, old-fashioned sense of law. And for a number of reasons, I decided I needed a bit more right brain activity. And uh, I gave it up of my own free will and concentrated on family, spiritual matters, painting and writing. So I, I, I left a whole lot uh, beside, despite the fact that I was doing well uh, as a, an international legal consultant and a lot of links internationally. Um, and uh, from that space at home, I had time to develop the spiritual side and to begin to focus on the issues that I think are pressing. And that's why uh, I've, I've been led to, to these topics, and in particular to emphasize some of the things that I've learned from my context, which are not necessarily in the, in the discourse in the same way. So we have to have a robust critique, uh, and that's the context in which we come to these conversations. Now, I mentioned uh, the word transhumanism uh, contained also in the title of your book that I referred to, and I've said a word about transhumanism in that recorded introduction I mentioned. Um, but if people want a, a thorough grounding in that, there's lots of material out there if they're unfamiliar with the the concept and the idea and the worldview. 
and also the other interviews that you and I did together, uh, that people can find links to those on the, the interview page um, for this talk. So there's lots of material there if anyone feels they need to get up to speed. But just as a way of, I guess, getting us started, transhumanism, posthumanism, these particular mindsets, trends, worldviews, developments, you the phrase you used in your book was distilled materialism. And that's a very good way of putting putting it because I've done a lot of uh, critiques and explorations of the materialist worldview. Now, when I refer to materialist here, I'm not talking about consumerist. I'm talking about the idea that uh, the five sense 3D reality is all that there is. And if you know if you can't see it, touch it, taste it, hear it, smell it, it does not exist and cannot exist. Now, currently, and I'd particularly point people to my interviews with Bernardo Castrop. The materialist worldview is really coming apart, and it's just that it this understanding and the insight hasn't really reached mainstream society yet, but really it is untenable at this stage. And in relevance to transhumanism, materialism misunderstands consciousness fundamentally or, you know, denies it, but when it tries to interpret it, it misunderstands it. So for me, consciousness, or we can use the word mind, is the baseline as far as we can sense so far of all that is you know all everything is within mind so and i know you have some you traced some worrying developments in transhumanism and these technocratic trends but for me i'm almost starting out on a cautiously optimistic note in that whatever happens to us in the development of our species on this planet and maybe the wider solar system or even the the galaxy if everything is in mind and ultimately anything that happens uh, in, in transhumanism terms, um, in terms of, uh, you know, control and, and, and domination, it's all within mind. So it cannot transcend that. It can never be outside mind. It can never control that fundamental consciousness. Um, yes. And, and, and no, to some extent, I agree with most uh, of the propositions um, that, that you, you, you've said there, Greg. However, I would point to a little problem with the idea of mind. And I've had these discussions with various people that I respect. And to a certain extent, the critique of materialism uh, could be just as useful as a uh, supporter of or a support for the argument in transhumanism with, with the idea of a more dissipated consciousness and where we don't focus on the significance of individual consciousness. So it's difficult for people to interpret people like Taylor de Chardin, and they, I, I think they interpret something or see something there that he's not actually saying. So uh, mind is not a word that, that I use. I, I talk about consciousness, and if I want to be more specific, I refer back to the, the literature on mysticism, and in particular, the idea of spiritual consciousness. So it's clear that from the um, 1860s, and particularly from the policy of Huxley and that, that they, they sought to take spirit out. And even in the context of recent discussions or contemporary discussions about the notion of the paranormal and that, and people that are open to discuss things about the paranormal, will distinguish between the paranormal and the supernatural, for example, because they see the supernatural as associated with Christianity and, and with, with God and things like that, and therefore they won't go there. That's a kind of ideological 
boundary. So uh, some of the, while that is true, there comes a point at which you say, well, what does it matter then about the person? Why should we bother? And there is a deconstructive element about the idea that we're all integrated and it's all interlinked. Um, and against that, now certainly that, that is clearly uh, the basis of a lot of even spiritual dis disciplines. And we look at, at Buddhism and interpretations of Buddhism, you can see similar views expressed. But I, I hold to the view that the individual spiritual consciousness and sovereignty is important and that that's what survives. So there is contrary views like that we die and then we're a drop of water back in the ocean. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced about that. Uh, even from a Buddhist perspective, it doesn't necessarily seem to make sense to the reincarnation idea when you don't have that entity of the self, of, the, of that transcendent spiritual self. So some of the discussions I'm listening to about mind and the broader mind and uh, in idealism uh, do, does away with the person. And the idea in a lot of traditions is that we are created in, in the, as an image of divine consciousness. Now, that's not necessarily taken a very monotheistic view. I think it's there in a lot of other traditions, the divine spark or whatever way you want to look at it, or in the Kabbalah, in the Lurianic Kabbalah of the, the light and, 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 and that's, that we retain in each of us. So I'm a bit concerned that some of the ideas of, well, it's all one consciousness in the end, uh, is actually going to be used to support arguments of the uh, technocratic technocracy. Uh, so I'm a little bit suspicious. It doesn't matter. Your consciousness, consciousness joins together. And we can see this in particular with Donald Hoffman and the idea of conscious agency. So what that does, as far as I can see, is to say, yes, there's conscious agents out there, and that could include anything from computers to people and presumably to other entities. And they're all conscious agents. So it does away with the idea of some inherent quality in humanity, in people. And I think that that element of it is dangerous. So I don't actually agree with some of the the ideas of, well, it's all one mind and we're all that anyway. Uh, I, I think there is, a, and this is this is the big debate, is, is the human unique in some way? I believe that we are. And that's not the view that's uh, in, uh, certainly it's rejected by post-humanism and it's rejected by uh, transhumanism in many senses. Well, I would agree actually with your objection there fundamentally, I really would. Uh, but again, you were just simply moving what I was saying on and, and showing a side of it that I think a lot of the, of the, yes, yeah, all, yeah. a lot of people don't consider in that, um, in that alternative sort of cosmology your question why bother about the personal so there's different yeah. flavors of this idea of consciousness is yes. fundamental you're absolutely right and um i but i do agree that um the individual is and the individual consciousness is incredibly important because i think there's actually I, I, sometimes we struggle with language for this but there's some kind of reason there's some kind of purpose there's some kind of natural teleology behind the individuated units of consciousness that you and I represent. If you see what I mean, there's something going on yes. here that is important. It's not just all accidental. So you you can say that consciousness is fundamental, but the the idea that that uh, you know us popping up the, uh, you know as these like isolated in 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 a sort of a 
uh, in a, a deep unawareness of yes. you know of what the, what we're part of, but moving towards a sort of growing awareness. That whole process, I think, is very important. Um, there there is the idea of some kind of cosmic conscious consciousness being different uh, in nature to our own consciousness, and it's, it doesn't really make decisions and doesn't really you know have a same sort of character and nature and, and color there's something about what's happening when um it's it's sort of subdividing itself um yes. that that is is moving things in some kind of direction so what i'm trying to say basically is you're absolutely right it'd be very very easy to say it's just one big sea of consciousness and a bit like in um Arthur C. Clarke's childhood's end, all that we'll be doing is dissolving um, away from the individual back into some kind of Borg-like soup, uh, of, yes. you know, and, and what we represent was never important anyway, and that will disappear. That absolutely could be. You could further start to do Russian doll stacking and say, well, even if what you said was true, it's still all within consciousness ultimate, ultimately, but that then would... Uh, simply be another way, I think, of yeah, stating a fu- some kind of like potential fundamental truth, uh, but also you know moving away from the idea that the individual consciousness is in some way uh, important, basically diminishing the responsibility and uh, sorry, diminishing the importance of it. Yeah, no, it was it was just because I've been having this, this, these discussions recently with people I really respect, and, and there is uh, subtleties there that are important. And for example, when I read Donald Hoffman, I listened to him and uh, his his descriptions of reality. There's a lot of things I agree with him. So when I read his book and, and he, he had that line that consciousness is fundamental, but human consciousness is not. You know, then you begin to understand what the game is. So so it's very very important. And into that, you're exactly right about teleology. And Ian McGilchrist's book, The Matter with Things building on his uh, the master and his emissary, uh, is very, very clear in its critique of the mechanistic idea of, of biology in particular and the focus on that purpose uh, in down to the individual cell level. Uh, so that can't be uh, ignored in, in this context. Now, the basis of all my work in this domain, putting aside the legal work, started off with a that principle that there's been a certain failure of spiritual evolution, and that was the basis of everything that that uh, I have done since. And that I, I I believe that all the problems that we have uh, can be re- related to our failure to evolve spiritually. That there are manifestations of that failure to evolve spiritually, uh, and uh, associated with that is that imperative that you, you suggest, uh, which I agree with. Uh, and I, I think there, again, as I, I think the the cutting out of of spirit uh, in this, a lot, it, it's a taboo word for a lot of people in the scientific context. They're not allowed to use it. If they use it, they'll be ridiculed. If they talk about the supernatural as opposed to paranormal, uh, again, they, they, they'll be ideologically cut off because you're not allowed to do that in the academy because that suggests an openness to phenomena that are more religious in some sense. For example, recently I've talked about the miracle of the sun at Fatima in, in 1917. And uh, if you look at the literature, uh, it's, it's very interesting. But certainly there's a strong case that it looks like a, a UFO thing from some perspectives. But 
the people that write those things the, uh, and look at it from a scientific perspective consider every option but the fact that it might be what it purports to be, i.e. a visitation by the Virgin Mary. They never will, never will them to really consider that. And you say, well, that's not really open-minded. Then you're getting into a, a, a preordained conclusion. And, and I'm quite open about this. I, I believe that the individual has access to cosmic consciousness, that, that we're, we're, we are related to it and we have access and we have connections and we can develop that. That's the essence of what the mystical uh, journey is. But even in whatever, near-death experience, out-of-body experience, the entity maintains its integrity as some kind of unit. Now, this is the thing that's denied in the materialist perspective. They say there's no little man or woman inside. You can't find that. Uh, but again, that's McGilchrist would, or some of his critiques about left brain, right brain, the reductionist element of the left brain, seeing things isolated and static and fixed and wanting to see things fixed and imposing that view on the world compared with the right brain, holistic and, and fluid and able to see the whole, they influence a lot of, a lot of these views as well and, and, and the, the, the technique. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, I, I don't disagree with uh, your, your, your viewpoints I'm, I'm in, in our discourse. Uh, it has been something that, that, that is important. And I, I don't know where, I mean, I've listened to Bernard uh, Castro a lot and, and I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and there's some issues there that uh, the subtle, it's, it's in the, the, the subtle details where uh, the theories are enhanced when you begin to ask questions on the edge of someone's viewpoints that you begin to get to the, the foundations. Well, you mentioned that, that you mentioned the, the term supernatural and paranormal a couple of times just for, to we comment on this in passing for me it's it's almost like the same thing it's just a different context different ways of looking at at uh, manifestations or phenomena you know supernatural is just kind of like a above and beyond natural and paranormal above and beyond what's considered normal as it were so uh, yeah the, but the supernatural having that religious baggage is i mean that's just semantics really and what you can, you know how, how you categorize a particular um, event you know is it supernatural is it paranormal i mean it's kind of for me it's it's so many of these there's so many um overlaps between these sorts of phenomena when you, when you look at different interpretations of them you mentioned that fatima and the sun um event which was absolutely fascinating intriguing bernardo castro brings a lot of these events together in his little book, Meaning in Absurdity. And it's just, you look at all these range of things that are happening and depending on, on, on your worldview and, and how you, uh, your cosmology, how you look at things, you, you interpret these things in one way and somebody else can interpret them in another way. So it, it makes these categories less, less useful, you know, because yes. a lot of what in, in the past would have been characterized as, you know, sort of, you know, religious rapture type supernatural phenomena. A lot of people have looked at them subsequently and said, "Oh, this this is this is some kind of alien visitation." Other people have said, "Oh, it's some kind yes. of interdimensional entity or some," you know. And there's so many different ways of interpreting it. And for me, what it's all pointing at is the, the you know the inadequacy and the failure of the materialist paradigm. Basically, just saying that you know there 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 are non-material dimensions to reality that what we um, sense with our five senses and what we perceive to be all that there is is just like a surface appearance really so 
Uh, I'm not too interested in, in people just saying, well, that's, you know, that's not a paranormal event. That's a supernatural yeah. event or, you know, that's not a, um, that that's not a, you know, UFO um, abduction sort of uh, case. It, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's something else. It's kind of like whatever. This is all very interesting, but I don't, I think you can become um, too bound by, you know, by uh, semantics. And then it just, and it's just a thought stopper really in some way. Uh, you know, if, if people who have been investigating uh, strange lights in the sky and, and really weird experiences that people have been having and, you know, seeing creatures and all sorts of bizarre encounters, uh, basically, if they get stuck with the idea, for example, uh, that these must be a physical, some kind of physical biological entities traveling in some, you know, some kind of kinetic way from other areas of of 3D space from somewhere out there to here and and interacting it in a 3d physical way. Well, you know, then that, that limits your um, potential understanding of it. And you you tend to try and fit everything as, you know, as science does, you tend to try and fit everything within the phenomena into the, you know, the rule set that you already have. There's probably fairly narrow possibility set and if something just can't be shoehorned into that, then you just discard it and just say, okay, yes. well, we can't explain that, so we'll just throw it out. Yes. And I think we have to be able to hold competing viewpoints that we could have for valid interpretations that we don't know the correct answer to. And my basic methodological approach is a pragmatic approach. And a pragmatic approach is usually distinguished from an ideological approach where we have some assumption that we make which is necessary to interpret the evidence. Uh, I think in a pragmatic approach, you look at, the, at the, the whole lot of the evidence. And that's also consistent with my world view about uh, the nature of the things beyond the, the, the senses. And even when we say five sense reality, there's a, scientists even acknowledge that there's a, a lot more senses now. <laughs> so it's, uh, but even then, they're, they're pointing to uh, the inadequacy of the empirical method as it has been understood hitherto from the time of David Hume. They didn't consider the ways of knowing, the ways we can understand things, the ways we can intuit or interpret things. So that's e- even that is expanding. Um, but the, um, it, yeah, we have to have an open mind. And that's also relevant in relation to interpreting uh, forces interpreting things like demons or, or what they are or the nature of the dark side and to have a certain open-mindedness about the possibilities uh, without over-compartmentalizing or being uh, being too attached to particular a particular description because the, the, the world and the world beyond what we can sense, uh, the, beyond what is necessary for our survival in this particular environment in the fine-tuned universe, uh, is very very diverse in my view, and uh, there's a, there's a, a lot of mystery, uncertainty, and strange uh, phenomena. Uh, you mentioned Ian McGilchrist, author of that seminal book, um, The Master and His Emissary. You mentioned his new one, uh, The Matter yes. with Things, which has obviously been many years in the making because he writes such vast books. Now I haven't yes. even got a copy of that yet. Have you actually read the whole book? Uh, I, I had a quick read through the second one, uh, and I, I'm going back through the uh, volume one. Uh, when I looked through, I was flicking through the, you must be psychic, because when I flicked through, it said chapter nine. He has summaries 
at the bottom. He said, if you haven't read any of the chapters yet, maybe you should. So um, I'm looking for it. It's a fantastic book. I mean, it, it's very, very comprehensive. And it deals in, in a very constant, consistent, I think he was 10 or 11 years writing it, with the critiques of uh, a mechanistic viewpoint, particularly of biology. And he, he's drawn in a wide range of material, which helps to understand where some of the, the mistakes uh, have happened. Um, and the, the only, not, not I'm certainly not criticizing, the only point I would make is that we have to learn those things. So that, that is a seminal book that will become important in, an, in, in a range of disciplines. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a very interesting work, very relevant work. But we also have to look at what's happening in realpolitik as, as well, because if, if it took another 10 years to write a book, the debates about the nature of the brain will be irrelevant if it fails to consider the transhumanism and the imminent and actual program to change the shape of our mind with technology. So um, uh, uh, maybe later on some of those issues are, are dealt with, but this is a pressing issue. And I did a talk to uh, a group of in the scientific and, and, and medical network, um, and uh, some people are, are skeptical that uh, some of the things I'm saying uh, they, they think it's it's quite bleak is, is is the feeling that's I get from some people. They don't really believe it, um, but unfortunately, I think they they may get a shock when they see the speed of things. Even since we start talking, Greg, the consciousness about the reality of the phenomenon of transhumanism is increasing rapidly, and it's one of the reasons why I, I decided to try and respond quickly uh, to the evolving situation because we have to have some kind of robust analysis about what's actually happening, uh, which is why I've been, I'm working at the moment on looking at the concept of uh, automation and automaticity as a way to explain what's happening as well uh, as, as the transhumanist movement uh, go, goes ahead. But it, it is a, a very interesting book and it is, it does help explain some of the issues uh, and also when, I, when I'm looking at the uh, psychology or even the psychopathology behind the movement uh, towards transhuman that we uh, transhumanism that we see uh, in people associated, for example, with the World Economic Forum, uh, apart from any sinister motivations to, or very sinister motivations or even um, supernatural. <laughs> If you want to, to say um, that maybe behind the scenes somewhere in some of the lives of, of some people, there is a, a sense that there is a great desire from people, from elite, if you like, or groups or oligarchical groups to have fixity and control over, over people. That there, it, it does reflect a deeper worldview that's not just about the left brain and right brain, but it is a kind of pathology. And that's people that adhere to that idea of fixity um, are, are very motivated by the opportunities provided by the convergence of digital technology, which en enables it to create a, a machine that will be able to directly uh, form a link between their will and our consciousness. I mean, that's the, that's that's the great uh, concern. Well, to 
paraphrase you a, a couple of moments ago, I do think it's important that we learn these things. And one of the things that I'm very much uh, trying to be on top of is encouraging people to think about these ideas, but in a, in, in a real world context, because I've spoken to so many people about some of the, the concepts that we've already discussed just here today, and positive and negative. And if it's negative, then they're kind of like, well, I don't really think it'll happen, or oh, let's talk about something else, or oh, it'll be good, it'll be good, because you know, and they'll list all the, you know, the supposed advantages of some of these technological trends. Uh, transhumanist technological trends uh, that have been advertised and pushed, you know, uh, they'll, they'll say, but it'll allow us to do this and do that. And, you know, there'll be no more illness and we'll, yes. the, we'll live longer and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all the, these, a lot of it to do with, with, um, with health actually, and, and, and medicine and, and human biology. And if it's a positive way, if they embrace, uh, say for example, if they read the master and his emissary or, the, the matter with things it would be like oh yeah that's really really fascinating and they'd put it uh back on the coffee table and then and go out as if nothing had happened you know it, does, it doesn't yes. have any transformative effect and i think that that's what where this is really going to make a difference is if people can actually just take this idea here um on one hand and just say well this is how it could it will actually impact what's happening in the world i think there's the idea is still that a, a post-materialist sort of uh worldview is still it's it's like well yeah and so what is the attitude and what how does this actually affect my life whereas it potentially changes everything this is this will be the thing if there's anything that's going to get us out of this or through this it's going to be beginning to integrate some of these ideas um oh you know on both sides yeah understanding the threat that's coming down the line but also seeing the um uh, the, you know, the positive side of, of the individual, the individual consciousness, what this means, where this could be going, uh, that spiritual evolution that you referred to. So it's kind of like a twin pronged thing. Uh, yes. And I think McGilchrist is very good at that insofar as his knowledge of music and poetry and literature enhances his argument. So you don't have that desiccated uh, approach. It's very, very uh, Renaissance kind of person uh, approach and he really he really sell well or advances the argument about the complexity uh, of the individual and the higher order nature of things like beauty and goodness and emphasizes them as real uh, phenomena and for a person who's so educated in the workings of the mind uh, he doesn't uh, he, he never reduces them he never reduces them to something lesser than they are. So there's a kind of, uh, kind of maybe a Platonic uh, ideal form element over it. He never, he never breaks them down. He never takes the integrity of those concepts uh, out, which so many do. And I think it's also part of that movement to re-emphasize the individual, because in my view, the institutions. The religious institutions have failed us in, in, in the current context, that they have abandoned their commitments to the things they should have been uh, committed to about the, the dignity of the individual, etc., as they're playing political games as well. And uh, when you get a, an erudite, comprehensive view of how the mind works, which doesn't seek to reduce I and mean, seeks to 
reaffirm the dignity uh, of the individual and explain how the uh, a limited left brain uh, viewpoint which characterizes the materialist scientist perspective uh, while not rejecting scientific method at all uh, it's it, it's a fantastic part of the picture and any critique that i have or i, I don't want to spread fear you don't either it's 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 a, a part of the assertion of our consciousness mind if you like my spiritual consciousness it's it's an assertion of the majesty of our inherent gift and this being aware of the contrast and of the dangers uh, should encourage people to begin to abandon the fear to begin to not be manipulated by the uh, by the automatic uh, playing and hacking now hacking of humans is the word that marketing people use to describe their access to the, the emotional state that they do all the time that they use in advertisement in, in the news etc to get into our emotions to make us do things but as we know people like uh, harari the world economic forum has, has talked about uh, or said that we're hackable animals and and i mean people up to recently were offering me his books a woman came here with his book <laughs> uh, and, I, and i couldn't figure out how the woman um, um, one uh, thought was good and secondly conceived that i might be interested i have a word with her but uh, they're not really reading what these people are saying or because they're these books are heavily promoted they believe because they want to belong that uh, these are important books there's a very uh, interesting address by by C.S. Lewis on called The Inner Ring. And it's about the idea that a lot of people are not evil or bad, but bit by bit, they get sucked in to a system because they acquiesce on little details. And the accumulation of the little details ends up in being what he, the person being a scoundrel, as he said, even though they're not scoundrels. But this is the nature of institutions. And there's a lot of that happening, a lot of uh, failure to interpret the uh, what these people are saying and how serious it is. And also with the contempt that these people have for us, it's, it's becoming clear. It's actually reminds me, a bit, I've been looking again at Maliki Martin, who was a, a, a Jesuit from Ireland who left it to write books critical of the, the papacy and, and the, the church. And he was an exorcist, and the stages in, in, in exorcism, which begins with the sensing of a presence and, and moving on to the pretense that there's, there's no presence there, and then finally to the revelation of, the, of the, the demon or whatever. It's kind of a bit like this, the arguments or, or the sense that you have in a genuine conspiracies. This is the same issue that the law has when it's trying to identify commercial conspiracies. Obviously, you're not going to see it. You can sense that it's there, and then you begin to look for evidence of coordinated behavior, for example. Um, but the uh, the misanthropy that some of these people express about their fellow human beings, the uh, there's a, a hatred in a lot of academic and intellectual circles about the human being, about the human body, about the history of the human, uh, and it's a very dangerous one. So. Uh, it, it's imperative 
not only that we become aware, but that we begin to, those people that believe in the dignity of the individual, that believe in the dignity of all humans, that believe in spiritual consciousness, they have to unite above their own compartments as well, not to, to identify what's, what's going on, to form a robust criticism, and then to begin to, uh, to, to emerge from their own compartments so that they can have uh, a, a combination with uh, people of, of uh, fellow, fellow spirit, if you like. Well, you mentioned this guy, um, Harari. We'll come back to him a little later. Because yes. um, some of the recent uh, pronouncements have been shockingly blatant, really. But so we've talked about uh, the transhumanism agenda of changing, um, altering the human being beyond all recognition, and the sort of technocratic control agenda, um, measuring, monitoring, um, uh, you know, just twenty four seven, nothing, you know, inside a a matrix. Um, from which nothing can escape um, yes. or, or, you know, function outside. Um, thinking about the last couple of years and a little bit more, has, did the pandemic ad advance or set back these trends? We call them sort of twin trends. I mean, we can't just say that technocracy and transhumanism are, are you know, basically just a Venn diagram like are, are complete overlaps, but it's all connected um, in one way or another, because for a lot of people, they said, well, technological advances, uh, steps that were taken, even though there might be some, there might have been some pushback and some measures rolled back a little bit, uh, that there were things put in place and things attempted for the first time that can be brought back and that did advance these agendas. Some people feel that the kind of the globalization is that's failing, a globalization as, you know, World Economic Forum model has has basically failed and that uh you know the the great reset is just you know kind of it's been put back at least another 10 years so you, you can you can make a, a case either way i think but I, I think it's partly tr true in both counts to be honest okay well here's my assessment of it i, I i've mentioned before as i in the blue July september book that i wrote before this stuff that it was a an argument about a disaster which led to emergency powers and set in London with lockdowns uh, leading to an excuse to inject people. I mean, it's, it, but so uh, unfortunately that seems quite consistent with uh, what has happened. The evidence about the, uh, that comes out as we know from like the John Hopkins report about the, the, the inefficiency of lockdowns, for example, none of this is strange. This is what the Swedish epidemiologist said uh, beforehand, they, they they also, it seems, had criticised the response in Britain and the models because they know that they, they uh, mismodeled before. They didn't take them the, the UK approach uh, credibly. Now I've said before as well that John John D Bernal, who was the person who wrote in the twenties about uh, transhumanism, about turning people into uh, material and who wrote about breakaway civilization his nickname was the sage uh, and if, so it's a bit odd when you have uh, the sage in the in the uk i wonder is that a kind of a, a bad joke uh, no what what harari said was that covid will be seen as the greatest advance 
of the 21st century. More, and I think he meant when the, when the century is over. So obviously he sees that as being incredibly, uh, incredibly important. Uh, in my, my view, it was a power grab. I, I, in my assessment, I believe we entered into a psychocracy on the 1st of January 2020. I believe that this was an effort to, uh, to grab power, to grab power beyond the nation state. This has been the movement from H.G. Wells onwards that to you break down uh, loyalty to the family, uh, to the nation state, to religion, and you set up a scientific elite. I mean, that's the program for a hundred years. It reinforces what the Fabians say, the wolf in sheep clothing, eugenics. It's all there. It never went away. Uh, so all these things are coming back with a, with a vengeance. That concludes part one of our interview. Part 2 will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.